ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Steve Wexler. He's the founder of Data Revelations, a data visualization consultancy, and the author of The Big Picture, How to Use Data Visualization to Make Better Decisions Faster. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me here. You have a great line in your book. You say that most organizations are drowning in data, but thirsty for understanding. And then you go on to share that the book is going to help people gain the graphic literacy so that they can do their jobs both better and quicker. But the book isn't designed for the people making the charts. It's made for the people who are consuming the charts. Why shouldn't people just lean back and get understanding from the charts other people give them? Do we need to creative direct the charts or is it about being a smart consumer of charts? I think it's the latter. What a uh, um, nice probing question on this. That there, my goal is to have uh, create a fundamental uh, graphic literacy or this wonderful neologism graphicacy, uh, <laughs> where everyone in the organization has a minimum understanding of how charts and graphs work or should work, so that you can have intelligent, informed discussions around the data. And you would think, well. You know, a lot of this stuff is pretty old. You know, so you know, pie chart goes back to the you know 18th century. So does the bar chart and the line chart. Doesn't everybody know how to read this stuff? And the answer is no, they don't. They you know, and <laughs> and um, and now there's just so much data. You're be foolish not to think. You mean there's something that would help me understand this faster? Yeah, I'm I'm in. You know, if it's only right. going to take a you know a little short amount of time to get up to speed with this, and I think it only it really only does take a short amount of time to get up to speed with it. Not to create the stuff that can take a lifetime, but to be able to understand a good chart from a bad one or one that's going to reveal something. Yeah, I think everybody can learn this quickly. So you set out four guiding principles for what you need to keep top of mind if you're communicating with data. What are those? principles. Wow. You actually think I remember this stuff? That I, <laughs> um, 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 I, I wrote in the book. It's interesting. It had been three principles, but now it's kind of become four. Um, it's, and, and a lot of this, I've got to, you know, quickly give credit to um, my fellow authors on the, um, the book, the big book of dashboards, uh, and in particular, Jeffrey Schaefer, because um, we bandied this about a bit, especially the first two things, which is who who is your audience? What's the message? What's the thing they need to know? And then it's taken me 15 years to distill everything I do down to a single sentence, but it is provide the greatest degree of understanding with the least amount of effort. I love I, that. I love the, that. <laughs> by the way, I get pushback going, oh, you mean you shouldn't be expending a lot of effort. No, the person creating the chart may have to work her or his ass off on this stuff. I mean, the greatest amount of understanding with the least amount of effort for your audience. That's your gig. That's what the practitioner should be doing. Right. Well, exactly. And I, I 
think it's so important because what about fancy infographics? Everybody wants the whiz bang, um, the, Ooh, look at that. Things that grab their attention, but those aren't necessarily good, right? Well, by the way, the best practitioners in the field can can have an amazing balance of ooh, ah, and aha. This book is about the aha uh, part of this. And realize most of those infographics, they're in some public-facing magazine, newspaper, TV show, something where, oh, I got to grab somebody's attention. Otherwise, they're going to turn the page. So I need to do something which is visually arresting and maybe not analytically strong. That only goes so far if, wow, that's really colorful and attractive, but it's taken me forever to parse and figure out right. what's going on in this thing. Well, it's You're a not- danger. It's the, the figures don't lie, but liars will figure kind of thing. Uh, you have some you have some examples in your book of of charts that are arresting partly because they're misleading. Well, so, so there's sort of three levels in in terms of um quality of chart. There's the chart which informs and enlightens. Then there's something in the book that we call the scaredy cats. We have a little <laughs> icon next to graphics which are this is you probably don't want to be using this or this thing. It may, it may not necessarily be bad, but it's not nearly as useful as it could be. And then there are the turds and that's a term. <laughs> um, and it stands for truly unfortunate representation of data. Um, and I can't take credit for this. It's a educator, uh, Christopher Danielson, who first came up with that uh, either acronym or initialism. Um, uh, and I think it's wonderful where, gee, this is this is downright deceitful. You're trying to make something either look worse than it really is or something better than it really is um, by taking advantage of the way humans look at the length of bars. And you're going, oh, I'm not showing that I'm really cut. The bar is way longer than that. But I'm cut. You know, I'm not I'm just showing the tip of the bar you know, to make it look, you know, then the two tips make it look like there's such a huge difference there. Um, I will not give away too much, but there's one particular uh, news network that's kind of notorious for doing this type of thing. Um, uh, yes, uh, we will. We will. They shall remain nameless. But if you flip open the book, you will see you will see them as an example of uh, the turd chart. Um You suggest a good test for how effective a chart is at communicating is taking away the numbers. And that goes to the sort of the simplicity. And that seems linked with a term that you use, pre-attentive attributes. What what does that mean? Well, so the art of data visualization is take advantage of what humans do well, avoid the stuff they do poorly. And there's some stuff we're, we're just unbelievably good at without training. And there's other stuff where I'm not really that good at that. But, mm. you know, I can show you uh, something that's dark orange and something that's light orange. And you can see that the dark orange thing is darker, but I don't know anyone on the planet who can go, well, that's twice as dark. That orange is twice as dark as the light orange. No, you can just see it's darker. Right. Whereas the length of bars you're ridiculously good at it. Um, and, and, and so, you know, there's an example in the book where I'll say, okay, how much bigger is this than that? 
Right. You know, oh, it's twice as big. How could you tell? Oh, because 1400 is twice as big as 700. All right, let me take the number away. Can you tell how much bigger it is? No, I can't. Now look at these two bars. How much bigger is one than the other? Oh, it's about twice as big. I'll take the numbers away. Can you see it's still twice as big? Right. Yeah, I can. Well, and what's uh, fascinating is you also talk about the difference between bars and circles and humans' ability to, to just know that about with the bar and the circle. And you have an example where there's a circle, which is half the size of another circle. And I could never have told that. I mean, oh, no, it, it freaks me out. I've seen it. You know, you can imagine how many times I've seen it. I first saw it by Professor Matthew Kay, who's a, a wonderful presenter and teacher at University of Michigan. And he put he, he did it as concentric circles, one right inside the other. I had always done them side by side. Hmm. And we know that the small one is only half the size of the big one, but it looks like it's three quarters the size. Yeah. And even knowing that, it doesn't look that way. Uh, in any case, you asked about the, you know, the term pre-attentive attribute. It's just a fancy term for things people notice without even noticing they notice them. Yeah. It's stuff that it's stuff that your mind processes instantly without you having to think about it. And so if I show you um, uh, 52 shapes, 51 are circles and one's a square, it's like you see immediately that there's something that's different. Right. Um, and that's an example of I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to look at all these things one after another and go, oh, I found the thing that's different. It just screams. You see it instantly without having to attend to it in any way. Hence the term pre-attentive attribute. Right. And so in terms of that, that in terms of recognizing difference, the humans are sort of hardwired to notice difference for survival reasons. And they're just easier at noticing the difference in a bar in length than they are with a circle and um, area, I guess, right? Right. Are, are there other important rules to remember about bars um, and using bars? Just if, if somebody's making a chart with bars, you, you have one rule that you talk about, which is pretty important. If you're comparing the length of bars, uh, they better start at, you know, at zero. Mm -hmm. the, the, the very thing that you're good at, which is I can see this is three times as big. Oh, it's just a little bit bigger. Oh, it's more than twice as big. That type of stuff completely goes to hell if, if the things don't start at zero with a bar chart. Right. And, and, um, and that is sometimes violated. The other thing is, that ability to compare is this bigger than this other thing is because they start from a common baseline. Oh. If I were to have these bars floating, you know, okay, I've got this bar over, you know, you know, a bar that's like representing a, a man who's, you know, five, six, and here's a bar that's, you know, represents a man who's five eleven, and, and I have them really separated and one starting at three feet high and the other starting at eight feet high. It's really hard to tell which bar is bigger than the other. They're right next to each other and they're starting at the same bottom point. It's super easy to see. So it's it, it, now it's the chart creator that needs to know this, but the, the consumer should be a, a an intelligent and informed consumer. You should be know, know when you're being hoodwinked. Right. But that's, when, that it could be, if you're not starting from zero, you could be misunderstanding the length differential or what the messaging is with regard to that differential. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really easy, you know, to, 
um, make stuff look way better or may worse, way worse than it really is by playing into pre-attentive attributes and going, oh my God, you made this thing, you know, dark red and everything else is this very, you know, light gray. Um, I could, look, you made that thing look really, really bad when it's actually, you know, just off by the slightest degree. And it's well, like, why did, you know, why did you do that? Oh, to make it look worse than it really is. Well, let's jump into color. Um, what are the reasons you should deploy color in a chart? You know, should you, it, because you shouldn't just toss it on for the heck of it, correct? The, the, this is probably the number one infraction in data visualization is the misuse of color. Um, and particularly, um, hey, we've got eight different um, divisions uh, in our company or eight different product categories, let's have a different color for each one. Mm. And, and that's, that's hard for humans to parse when you mm. have that many colors. Um, and so, uh, is there a limit my, to the number of colors a person can, can understand and hold the, you know, there, it probably fits into that, you know, um, seven plus or minus two information mapping. I get concerned if I ever see more than four categorical colors. By the way, I'm not talking about shades of the same color, different intensity of the same color, you know, like a heat map type of thing right. where you're, you're showing, oh, I'm seeing uh, light blue, medium blue, dark blue, really dark blue, trying to show the saturation of something that, that, that I just consider that, let's consider that uh, one color. It's right. lots of different, oh, I've got seven days of the week. Let me use a different color for each one of them. And it's it's just way too much to parse versus, you know what? I, I have, just want- Or I have 12 social platforms and I'm going to put them, each one is going to have their own color and then I'm going to do things about them against oh, each wait, other. You know what? It's- hey, hey, as long as we're doing that, let's also put the really complicated logos for each one next to it as well <laughs> and, and make it impossible for somebody to parse. But, but it's amazing what happens if I just want to accentuate a particular thing that's important mm-hmm. as opposed to, and, and there's an example in the book um, where uh, if you use color sparingly, oh my God, I see immediately that there's something up with these right. two days of the week versus right. this other example where, oh, color isn't telling me anything. I have to ignore color completely and try to come to my own conclusion. Um, there's a colleague of mine who does absolutely brilliant work. Her name is Cole Nussbaumer Naflick. Um, she wrote a wonderful book, Storytelling with Data, and that's her website. Um, and she says, you know, colorful is a great goal for a party not so much for a data visualization. And I tend to agree with her. So, you know, can I just jump in when you were talking about shades of the same color, it's still important for people to understand that people can't really tell, as you said earlier, if that's 50% as dark. And so really shade gradations are almost like a trend. You can have a, a vague sense of intensity, but you can't say specifically how intense something is. But no, you can't. You, you, you need to look at a color legend to see, well, what does the light, lightest color right. represent? What does the darkest color represent? And, and if people are going, I don't have the slightest clue what he's talking about. You know, think of um, uh, maps of the United States that you're seeing now showing um, uh, the... 
um, propensity to take the COVID-19 vaccine, coronavirus vaccine, or the percentage of people who have been vaccinated um, in each state. And the darker the color, the more people have been vaccinated, the lighter the color, the fewer people have been vaccinated, probably done on a per capita basis, because obviously um, in Wyoming, you have way fewer people than you have in California. So it would be, you know, number of people per thousand who've been vaccinated. And you can get a quick and easy read if I were to say, hey, pop quiz, you got five seconds. Tell me where the highest percentage of people have been vaccinated. Boom, you're going to get that fast. And if I were to say, tell me where this, you may not know the name of the state because most people in this country are geographically um, inept. Um, uh, your subject, the person you're speaking with being one of them. Um, but if I were to say point to the thing where it's the fewest, point to the thing with the most, they'd get it. Um, right. So it, it's it's order of magnitude, things like that, that they yeah. people can, can understand. But speaking of, you know, I had been talking about limits and we were talking about, you know, seven plus or minus two and more than four gets tricky. Are there limits to what any one chart can or should be doing? That's oh, so I'm going to do the the you know the, the famous. Gee, I don't have immediately have an answer to that question, so I'll do what every uh, person who's been asked a question does now. Go. That's a really good question. <laughs> uh, yeah, there probably is. I don't know what it is. Okay. Um, part of you know the the four guiding principles is is having a pretty good idea who your audience is mm-hmm. and. Um, who is your audience? Are they going to be able to understand this thing? Mm -hmm. And you probably can't pack, you can't answer every question in one chart. This is why we'll often have dashboards because it's, um, um, hey, think of your car dashboard for a second. The thing that tells you how much fuel you have in the car is a different chart than the thing that's telling you how fast you're going. You right. know, you're not you're not trying to show in one thing how fast you're going and how much fuel you have. They're both located in smart places for you to look, but it's not one chart trying to answer both of those questions. You got something for the speed, you got something for how much fuel you've got. It's a similar thing with dashboards. So speaking of, of dashboards, pie charts show up a lot in reports and dashboards, and I'm not always sure that they're really useful, at least to me, because like with circles, I have a hard time telling how multiple slices relate to one another. Am I uniquely um, pie deficient or is this, you know, what should we expect from a pie chart? You are hardly pie deficient. The, um, <laughs> and there's, there's some wonder, you know, look, the, the, the data visualization cognoscenti, you know, all, you know, will will quickly exclaim, well, pie charts are evil. You shouldn't use pie charts. Not really true. There's a great white paper called, you know, Save the Pies for Dessert, and it points out all the shortcomings of pie charts. Now, someone listening to this may be thinking, well, wait a second, I like pie charts. Well, one is they're circular, and humans love anything to do with circles, and there are tons of essays and books on that subject. The problem with a pie chart is if you're trying to compare how much bigger one slice is than another, or if you know you've got four or five slices and you're trying to figure out well how big is how large a percentage of the whole is one of those inner slices now 
the thing that's amazing about it is if it's just, gee, I want to know how big this segment is compared to the whole. Oh my gosh, it's right. amazing. You start the thing at midnight, go counterclockwise, and people can see, oh, I can see it's a little less than one quarter. Oh, I right. can see it's about one third. You know, it's just under 50%. I, I mean, instantly. And there are these measuring cups that you can get that are um, essentially pie slices. Right. And they're instant reads, one quarter, one third, one half, uh, and full. You cannot not be, get it. You know, look at that thing and go, oh, I don't even have to see on, um, you know, that this says one quarter. I, I, I don't have to look at the fraction one quarter or one third. I know exactly how big this thing is. So the problem with pie charts is they're great for one thing, part to whole relationship for just two of the slices, you know, one that starts at right. midnight going clockwise, one going counterclockwise. Um, and uh, otherwise, they're just terrible. If we're thinking, I've, I'm thinking very specifically of some some pies that often show up in reports that I read, and the issue is we have more than two slices going on in relation to the whole. What is a bad if you're dealing with more than two relating to a whole? What is a good? I mean, is it a bar chart? What is a good type of chart? to do something like that where people can actually understand it. Because if I'm thinking of stacked bars, then my zeros aren't the same. And so how, how do I, how do I do it? Well, it's interesting. Your stacked bar chart, a stacked bar chart is, is essentially just a cubist pie chart. It suffers from exactly the same problems. You know, mm -hmm. I can get the bottom stuff and relate that to the whole, but the middle stuff I can't figure out. Same with the middle slices. Right. The, so, you know, I'm kind of on this, um, mission uh, or quest uh, to get people to realize, you know, your the organization might do better if you printed less and clicked more. And uh -huh. the bar chart and pie chart is a perfect example of this. So that the bar chart allows you to see how much bigger is this than this. And the pie chart is great with, um, hey, these this thing or these things how big a percentage of the whole are they? And mm -hmm. I'll say, put them together. Here, here's a bar chart with 30 things on it. Now select seven of them. And you'll see, oh, I've selected the first one, the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one, and whatever. Mm. Oh, look at this. Those seven things out of 30 make up, um, you know, I don't even have to look at the number. It's just about three quarters of all our sales. How, do right. you, how could you tell it was three quarters? Oh, because, you know, it's just two slices to the pie and I can see it's, you know, a little more than three quarters. Right. And so the two things married, it's amazing how well they, they, they work together. It's sort of a chocolate peanut butter thing. <laughs> um, so it, this is a really visual book and obviously we've, we've stuck to, to simple charts so that people can imagine them and imagine these permutations. Um, the, so we're sort of jumping ahead in, in terms of discussing your actual book to one of your original guiding principles, and, and that's about the audience and the role that audience plays in relation to data visualization. And why is the audience so important? Why can't you just say, here are the rules, follow the rules? The, I, I don't know. 
in the same way that 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 it, in, you know, I keep I don't asking have these horrible questions. No, they're they're great questions, but you know, uh, Gabriella, I can't imagine you're not mindful of the people who are listening to this, and right. what is it that will appeal to them, and how is this going to meet their needs? It, I gotta say, it kind of informs everything I do at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, a friend of mine years ago, uh, before. Uh, I wrote the big book of dashboards with Jeff Schaefer and Andy Concrete recommended that I read this book uh, called Badass, um, Making Users Badass by Kathy Sierra. And the point of the book was lost on me. You know, the main point of the book is, you know, people don't care about using your tool. It's like what they can do with the tool. And what I got from the book was, how is what I'm doing, what I'm writing, what I'm presenting, uh, what I'm blogging about going to help the people who are going to be reading. Because if I'm not thinking about how does this help them, what mm-hmm. is it, what's in it for them? And that kind of informs everything that I'm doing at this point. Now, that said, uh, I do think that the every audience should have, you know, a bare minimum vocabulary when it comes to understanding data and when it comes to understanding charts. That's what I'm trying to accomplish with this book. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, give me a weekend. No more, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the the book is not long. It's not a heavy read, and you're going to come back on Monday with a greater appreciation that this stuff isn't that difficult. You've got a foundational understanding of this thing, and it's going to help you, you know, better understand all the data you're being bombarded with. So yeah, to some extent, the audience has to put in the time or whatever. But the other is. The creators of the charts and dashboards should be thinking, what can I do that would make this more relevant and useful to the person who needs to consume it? Right. Well, I I think the thing that really struck me is, is going back to simplicity. And so making things as simple as possible may demand two charts but that out will actually serve me better in that they will read those two charts faster than one chart that's a little too complicated. So there are times when you can't, I don't want to use the term dumb down, um, where um, uh, this search for simplicity, Mm. um, I'll say, you know, simple is good, uh, simplistic isn't. Right. Um, there's another aphorism that's been attributed to Albert Einstein, and I don't know how many other people, as simple as possible, but no simpler. Um, the What are the things that will allow people to understand this with the, with the shortest, the least amount of effort on their part? And that may mean, gee, you know, I can't do this in one complicated thing. Let me instead right. make two or three simpler things. But there are times when, you know what? Here's a chart type that's a you know he may not have seen before. You know, it isn't just a simple bar chart. It's like a variation on a waterfall chart, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, the thing you you need to see or understand, I couldn't make it using the stuff you already know. Can you give me one minute to show you how this thing works? It's not that complicated. I'll walk you through it. And once you get it, you'll be able to use it again and again and again. Um, And by the way, as your vocabulary grows, learning new words just becomes easier and easier. Right. And so if you are in, you know, you're anything below the C-suite, so you're explaining up, you're explaining data up to other people. 
sometimes if you have to show them a chart, which they're not familiar with, how, how important is it that you are able to walk them through it? It sounds like it is actually pretty important. It is. And, you know, some of the difficulty is no one wants to, you know, come off as being ignorant. Right. You know, so that, that a, a lot of the pushback um, that some people may give to charts is, gee, rather than say, I don't understand what this thing is trying to show me. Can you take a minute or two to explain it to me? They'll say, you know what? You might just, just give this to me as a spreadsheet. I don't have time for this nonsense. And it's, you know, part of it is no one wants to come off as, as, as being ignorant. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, you've made me think of something just for a minute here that, that, uh, um, whenever someone was talking about, you know, presenting to the C-suite or whatever, and they're saying, well, imagine you're presenting to a busy executive. I keep thinking, you know what we need to do? We need to find executives that have way more free time on their hands. You know, that, <laughs> there we go. We have to say, that's the problem. You know, all the executives are busy. Find one with a little time. Focus. Yeah, be yeah. present. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that'll solve the problem. Speaking of time, thank you for spending so much time with me today talking about your book. It's uh, it's it's really excellent and useful and is going to sit on my bookshelf as a resource that I can dip into. And the podcast notes will have a click to buy link in the notes. You can download a sampler for free and see if this is something that might appeal to you. Uh, But Gabriella, this has been delightful. Thanks for your time today. Yes, indeed. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next, and I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open, and of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.